Hey, well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you. Um, I always count it a, a privilege of my life anytime I get to open the word of God um, for the people of God. And I think it's a pretty uh, amazing thing that we believe that the spirit of God um, is with us today. Um, and so anything's possible. So I'm, I'm excited and expectant um, for this morning. So over the course of the past seven weeks, we have been journeying through 1 Kings, looking at the life of Elijah. Um, so this is week eight. And my goal today is to provide some hooks for us to hang the information and the transformation that we've been able to learn and experience over the past seven weeks um, to really take it home, memorize it, have it in our hearts um, so it'll change us. So I don't know, I know we're talking about school starting back a lot for for a lot of our people tomorrow. Um, A big thing that got me through school was review day. Um, If you know what I'm talking about, like it was the day before the test and the teacher would sit you down and be like, here, is what we're gonna be going over. Like you gotta know this. And review day was great for all parties. If you were super type A and you studied all the time, review day was like, check mark, crushed it. I feel confident, I know this. But then review day was also great for our guy who was on his phone the whole time and had no idea what was going on because he got to know it was on the test. Friends, today is review day. Um, so whether or not you have been with us the entire time or you don't even know who Elijah is or First Kings, what's this? Like today's a great day for you. Um, so if I was to title today's message, um, it would simply be bird's eye view. We're gonna take a bird's eye view over Elijah's life um, with the hopes that the principles and the stories of this would take root in our hearts um, and change us. So to kind of give you a, a mental map of where we're going, Um, the three hooks that I wanna provide for you. So hook number one is going to be the message of Elijah. If you could say what the message of Elijah's life was in, in one sentence, we're gonna provide that hook and then we're gonna apply it to our lives. Um, Then once we do the message, I wanna talk to us about the method. What method did God use to apply the message to the nation of Israel to change their lives. So hook number two, we're gonna apply it. Then number three, we're gonna talk about the man, who Elijah was and why did God use him? And that's hook number three, and then we're gonna apply it because God's word is not just meant to be known, it's meant to be obeyed. Um, and so our desire is not that we would just get smarter today. I don't wanna, we don't wanna be smarter sinners. Like we wanna be obedient to God. Um, and so that, that's gonna be our desire today. So man, method, or psych message, method, man, um, and that's where we'll head. So would you mind praying with me before we get going? Father God, you are kind to us. And I thank you for every woman and every man in this room. Um, And God, I just pray that you would speak to us today through your word. And so if you would, in your seat, would you pray? And just ask honestly, ask for God to speak to you directly this morning. And if you would, uh, would you pray for me and pray that I would truly be helpful to you um, today? So Father, we love you. I pray, um, God, that my words would fall to the ground and be blown away, um, but your words um, would remain forever and they would change us. We pray this in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so Elijah, let's get a little context for where, this, where his, this guy even comes from. So we know that God has formed his people, the nation state of Israel, to, to go into the world, to resemble him, to image him, his likeness to the world. Um, and he has made a covenant with the nation of Israel um, that is their way of saying, we're gonna be in relationship with you this way. Um, the nation of Israel has kings over it that are 
ruling them. Um, but along the way, the nation of Israel being like us, um, they would get a little sideways. They would begin to, to obey outside of the covenant. And so God would raise up prophets um, to keep them in check with, in, to be in right relationship with them. So um, a prophet is not a fortune teller. Um, don't think Harry Potter. Um, think more of um, a prophet had three primary roles. Um, it's first was to speak on behalf of God. That's what a prophet would do. Um, The second thing is they were watchdogs of the covenant. Like they're always trying to make sure that that God's people are staying within God's law to enjoy God's blessing. And then the third thing a prophet would do is a prophet always confronts injustice. Um, So we see that God is always using prophets to draw his people back to himself. Uh, One of the the themes that runs throughout this, this book, this entire Old Testament is the phrase hesed, God's loyal love, that he is drawing his people back to himself. So we find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, and it says this, and Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any who were before him. And he went and served Baal and worshiped him, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So we see here, just right off the bat here in this text is that there is a new king over Israel. His name is Ahab. And instead of staying faithful to the one true God, he's like, you know what? We're gonna begin to worship and we're gonna begin to give our allegiance to Baal. You may have heard this said Baal before, tomato, tomato, we can argue about it. Listen, double vowels does something different in Hebrew. So it's Baal for me today. Thank you for your grace. Um, So for a lot of political and cultural um, and societal reasons that I can't get into this morning, um, the nation of Israel begins to give their allegiance, begins to um, get outside of God's design and begin to worship Baal. And so God is faithfully gonna pursue his people. And so he raises up Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse one. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so it's in this moment that Elijah picks a fight with Baal. He picks a fight with the spirit of the age, what, what their community was beginning to become a part of. Um, and very specifically here, um, why does Elijah say neither dew nor rain? Baal was known as the God of rain or the storm God. So this is a very intentional thing that Elijah does is he's basically saying, yo, like the God of Israel before whom I stand, he's not gonna let it rain, Baal doesn't have a chance. Like he's not the one who's in control here. So now here's something that's really important. This, is, this blows my mind how the Bible does this. So Elijah's very name shows us what the primary message of his life is. It's no accident. So Elijah's name literally means Yahweh is my God. 
I mean, like whenever they would hear his name, they would know Yahweh is my God. You may have never heard of the, the name Yahweh before, but it is God's personal name as revealed in scripture. In Exodus 3, Exodus 32, God reveals himself personally through Yahweh, which is, it's basically four Hebrew letters, yod He, vav He, um, that forms Yahweh. Why does this matter? Is that in your English Bibles, Anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's translating God's personal name, Yahweh. But then whenever your Bible has Lord and it's just capital L, lowercase r, lowercase, or I cannot spell, L-L-O-R-D, you know what I'm trying to say. It's translating the word Adonai, which means master. So we see here from the onset, Elijah, Yahweh is my God. And he says to Ahab, as the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall neither be dew nor rain. So what is the message of Elijah? It's this, that the Lord Yahweh is the one true God that the Lord Yahweh is the one true God, that there is no other except him. He is the true God, the one whom we ascribe authority, who gets to decide, who gets to call the shots. So, so maybe, maybe we should think about it this way. Um, uh, at the Oscars this past year, there was the slap heard around the world. We know what we're talking about. I don't want, I don't want to get into to all the details there. Chris Rock, Will Smith, whole thing. And what, what really this did is it opened up a conversation in our culture about marriage, um, specifically the idea of an open marriage, of where you make vows with somebody, but then you have an agreement where then other partners are allowed to enter into this marriage with no problem. This concept was being discussed. This is what's happening with the nation of Israel and Baal. They've entered into an open relationship where they're saying, we've made a covenant with God, but we would also like for cultural, political, societal reasons we can't get into today to introduce this into our lives. Friends, hear this. This is not an option for Christ followers. This sort of um, mixture or syncretism or fusion of different ideologies and principles with the one true God is not an option. It is a direct betrayal of God's covenant with his people as we see in um, Deuteronomy 28. So Yahweh is the one true God, not Baal. But here's what I know to be true. Is there is no one sitting in the room today who struggles with worship of Baal. No one here today is like, man, I'm telling you, Cole, that's storm God, he's good. Like, I, th I think it rained. Like, I think I I'm gonna give him my attention. I'm gonna give him my affection. Like, 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 no one is struggling with this. But in the same way that this was the spirit of the age that the nation of Israel was living in, it was the air that they breathed. It was the water that they swam in, that it was what was normal in their culture. And in the same way, there's a spirit of our age today. And it's not Baal, but instead, itself. 
and it's specifically the title I would use is expressive individualism. Um, this is like a 10 hour talk that I'm gonna do like in two, two minutes here. So just like, hold on. Um, there's a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor who's really helped me think through this critically or Carl Truman or Alan Noble, some phenomenal resources that I would totally recommend for you. Um, but the idea of expressive individualism is that we don't look up for our authority or morality or the, the building blocks of found uh, the fa- building blocks of our lives, but we look within. So let's think about it this way. Um, up until about the 17th century, um, when when we talked about the building blocks of life, morality, truth, um, right, wrong, uh, satisfaction, purpose, meaning, people would look up that whether or not it was to Yahweh, the one true God, if it was Baal, if it was um, any of this kind of mystics, they would look up. But then come the 16th, 17th century, um, we have the enlightenment in which these ideas of scientific method and reason begin to like really get inside of the air that we breathe as a culture. So instead of looking up, we would look around. We would see what can we observe? What can we notice? How can we formulate what's important in life by what is around us? And friends, just recently, we have experienced another shift. We don't look up. We don't look around. We look within. That have you noticed across our culture that everything is about being personalized and about the self and and how can I express myself to the world and, and even down to like deciding about like, you know what, my identity doesn't come, it comes from me. And what I decide it is, my purpose in life, my telos, what the end, the goal of my life is, is what I decide for it to be, right, what's right and wrong, the ideas of truth. Well, it's my truth, not God's truth or anything else that we can observe that we have made this shift from instead of looking up for these ideas or looking around, but now we have looked within. And friends, this is a newer phenomenon in our culture, but it is something that has plagued us for a long time. One of my um, favorite theologians, Augustine, says this, but my sin was this, that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in him, but in myself and in his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. The, our modern age screams, I am my own and I belong to myself. The Christian message is this, that I am not my own, but I belong heart and soul and life and death to God my Father and my Lord Jesus Christ. Like in the same way that Buzz Lightyear has got Andy inscribed on a shoe, you and I, if you're in Christ, have Yahweh inscribed on our shoe. That we belong to him, that it's him who calls the shots. So hook number one, the message. Yahweh is the one true God. Application, applying this to our lives is we've got to purify your allegiance to the Lord. Purify your allegiance to the Lord. Um, chapter 18, verse 21 of 1 Kings says this so well. It says, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal is, then follow him. That there is no neutrality in a relationship with Jesus. We are either in or we are out. The um, great theologian, philosopher, writer, C.S. Lewis said it very plainly that Christianity can either be of the utmost importance or it is nothing. There is no middle ground. And so the question I would ask you today when it comes to your allegiance is who is in charge? Who is in charge and who is making the call? when it comes to the decisions that you're making, when it comes to purpose, meaning, satisfaction, a life that counts, is it you or is it the one true God? Hook number one, application number one, let's keep moving. So after they, um, Elijah confronts them, over the course of these four chapters, we see that Elijah performs seven incredible miracles. I am not going to read all of them, um, but I do want to highlight these seven and it'll make sense in a moment. So miracle number one is Elijah's word stops the rain in 17.1. Elijah's promise multiplies a widow's food in 17.14. Elijah's prayer restores the widow's son's life in 17.24. Elijah's prayer calls down fire on Mount Carmel in 18.38. Uh, Elijah's word restores rain to the land in 1834. Elijah calls down fire on, the, on Baal soldiers in 2 Kings 1. And Elijah divides the waters of the Jordan in 2 Kings 2.8. So now why does God use Elijah to perform all of these miracles? Here's why. Is he wants to prove to the nation of Israel and all those watching the message, that he is the one true God. And very intentionally throughout this entire thing, he is dismantling Baal Baal, as a non-entity and is establishing Yahweh as the one true God. I want you to hear this today, that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever he wants. That he sits above space and time and he is capable of doing anything with anyone at any time. But it's in this moment that he is very strategically communicating to the nation of Israel, listen, I am the one who is in charge. Number two, hook number two for you to hang this on is that the method is that the Lord Yahweh is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything that the Lord Yahweh is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything that not Baal, not anyone else, that he's the one who's orchestrating the affairs of the world. He is the one who is weaving together the tapestry of our lives in order to display his glory for our good. That it is him who is the source, not us. It is him who is the sustainer, not us. Because here's here's what I know to be true. Christian, non-Christian, we all wanna be happy. Like, like we want to experience a full life. Um, we want to experience joy. And I think a lot of us are on this quest of I, I, I've got to find satisfaction. I've got to find pleasure, be it through um, the Chick-fil-A sandwich or be it through the better job with more money. Like either way, we're searching for the joy. And here is the beautiful thing about God being the source and sustainer of everyone and everything 
is that our quest can end because we have found the one in which all joy springs, in which all purpose was founded, the one who, once again, is the source and sustainer of everyone and everything. And when we find that, we can find rest in him. So, method, hook number two, God's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Application is that we can rest in God's provision. Because I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this today. If God is the source and sustainer of everyone and everything, if God is the one who determines the purpose of your life, if God is the one who has bestowed upon you a wonderful identity, if God is the one who has decided right, wrong, and indifferent, then you don't have to. That the weight of a world set with no God is a weight in which you are responsible for everything. And one of my favorite things about the gospel is it's an exhale. I'm not responsible for creating an identity and living a purposeful life. Like God is the one who's orchestrating the affairs of the world, not me. God is in control. I don't have to be. And so I, I, I wanna speak to, speak to you in a really straightforward way here over the next few moments. If you um, are here today, and I know in a room of this size, um, there's no doubt like, that there are some of you who do not know Jesus personally. Um, and, and I want to share with you the rest that we find in the Lord's provision um, because we do believe that God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. That if he were to cease, so would we. Um, and, and in our um, rebellion, we've turned our backs to him that we um, are not, we don't just sin, but we're in fact sinful. And the problem is, is that sin carries consequence. And the consequence is death. Um, not just a physical death, but an eternal death in hell. And Jesus, God in his love and his mercy sent Jesus to, to, to earth to live a perfect life completely devoid of sin. And then he died, but for whose death did he die for if he had no sin? He died for our sin. He died for your sin, he died for my sin. That if we would trust in him, that we would be made right with God forever. This is our good news message and it's a provision in which we exhale and rest. It's the best message in the world and it's the message for you today. So hook number two, our method is that the Lord Yahweh is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Application is that we rest in the Lord's provision. All right, hook number three, the man. What was it about Elijah that made God see fit to use him? I love this. Number three, is the man is that the Lord Yahweh uses ordinary people. That he uses ordinary people like you, he uses ordinary people like me, that you don't need a degree or specialty or a certain number of talent to be used by the one true God. In fact, uh, in, whenever Elijah is introduced to us um, in chapter 17, verse one, it says this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead does anyone in the room today know where Tishbe and Gilead is? That's the point. No one does. 
Even some of the best scholars who have studied this text comprehensively have no idea where Tishbe and Gilead is. In fact, one of the translations uses it as Elijah the stranger. That, that he is just an ordinary guy coming from obscurity and the Lord uses him. In fact, in James chapter five, verse 17, we love it when scripture interprets scripture. So in James five seventeen, it's talking about the power of, uh, the power of prayer from a righteous man. And it specifically says, Elijah was an ordinary man just like us. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And for three years, it didn't rain. That he is an ordinary guy doing ordinary things just like us. But the thing that's crucial for us to know is yes, Elijah gets used mightily by God. But then y'all, the ha- halfway point in the story, Elijah heads south. Like he literally experiences the greatest victory. And then depression and in a cave. Like, like one day it's great, next day it's rough. And if we're being honest, I mean, is that not our Christian experience? We're in here saying, Lord, I need you, cussing on the way out of the parking lot. Like, like hearing a great word from Mike and then Monday morning being really quick with our spouse. Like, like sharp words. And it's like, we, we, we're experiencing all these like roller coaster of things. And so, and so maybe this will help today and remove some of like the religious guilt and shame that we've put on ourselves for some reason is that a life with Jesus is about direction, not perfection. That your life of, of following Jesus, becoming more like him is about being on the direction, being on the trajectory towards his holiness, not being perfect. Because y'all, like, let's just call it spade a spade. Like, life is hard and we fail. We drop the ball. I drop the ball. But God is asking for our direction of our lives, not just perfection from our lives. Because our faith does not rest on our shoulders, it rests on Jesus's. That our righteousness, our justice before God does not rest on you, it rests on Christ. Direction, not perfection. But I would be remiss to say, not only is the direction of Elijah's life heading in that direction, but truly he was living on purpose. That he was called by God and was living in faithful obedience to it. And so I want us to consider today, we talk a ton around here about living sent. Um, And I just wanna remind us again where um, this truly comes from in scripture and and just kind of the idea behind it. Um, All of living sent and that phrase, Sellers, Hickman and Wave get all the credit for that. They um, lead this out so, so well. So in John 20, 21, Jesus says this to his disciples. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. In the same way that the source and sustainer, God himself sent Jesus into the world to reconcile the world back to himself, God is sending us into the spaces and the places that God has granted us influence. So so here's what this is like, so wild to me is that this totally transforms our ordinary life. Like this concept transforms you going to lunch later. And what I mean by that is that all of a sudden you going to lunch later isn't just a happenstance, it's an appointment. 
that when you show up to lunch, you're not just there, oh yeah, we're hungry. I'm not just there on the direction of my belly is hungry. I am there being sent by the triune God to reconcile the world to himself. That there is now a waiter and a waitress who I get to look in the eye, ask how they're doing and see if it leads to a gospel conversation. That I am living sent on purpose by God. Application number three there is that we're gonna live sent by the Lord. And, and, and we're in our search for purpose and our search for meaning. Like, like, can you imagine how different it'll be tomorrow when you're taking your kids to school? And it's not just a drive to school, but instead it's not just happenstance, it's an appointment that you have time with your kids, that precious time to invest in them, to ask questions, that all of a sudden waiting in line for a burrito at Chipotle has purpose. Yeah, rice, chicken, black beans, amazing. Because we are living sent. So, test tomorrow, review day. The message of Elijah, his very name, the Lord Yahweh is the one true God. Not self, not any other ideology, it is him. We sit under his authority. We belong to him. It's the message of Elijah. The method in which God gets this message into our hearts isn't trying harder and doing better. It's that, hey, the Lord Yahweh is the source and sustainer of everyone in everything. You don't have to be. And the, the man of Elijah, what we learn from this is that the Lord Yahweh uses ordinary people just like you and just like me. So after Elijah's big victory in 1 Kings 18, I think this really sums up what I think this entire story would beg of us. It says this in verse 39. When the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they worshiped. That they recognized that it's not self, it's not anything else, it's not within me, but it is in him. And I belong to him. So they fell on their faces and they worshiped. So we're gonna sing here in just a moment. We're gonna sing a song that um, talks about praising the Father and praising the Son and praising the Spirit three in one. And I'm, I'm not asking you um, to fall on your faces. Maybe that's what you need to do. I'm not gonna hold you back. But maybe the posture of our hearts need to say, Lord, it is not me, but it is you. And it is you, the Lord Yahweh, who is God. It is the Lord Yahweh, he is God. Can I pray for you? Our Father who art in heaven, Lord, hallowed be your name. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, not our kingdom, but your kingdom. Lord, that your will would be done. Um, Lord, your will, not our will. And Lord, we ask today um, God, that you would um, forgive us of our trespasses. 
And Lord, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And Father, we do ask that you would not lead us into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. Because God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power, both now and forever. And Lord, we fall before you now and say the Lord Yahweh, he is God. We ask this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.